Welcome back to our last session here uh, in Chapter 7 in Unit 3. Uh, we're going to be taking a look at the Trans-Saharan trade route. Uh, this is the smallest of the trade routes and the latest developing of the trade routes that we have during this time period. And it really doesn't develop until after the rise of Islam. So this one is truly kind of more of a Unit 3 uh, trade route, whereas the Indian Ocean trade and Silk Road were both around during, the, uh, during Unit 2 at the height of the Roman and Han empires. Um, and one thing to note here for, for this, or for the start of this, is, is how does this trade route begin? Well, it begins because of those city-states we see rising up in West Africa. Uh, last week we looked at one, Jene Jino, um, and that's, that's the huge one there um, that kind of kicks things off. But uh, we'll see some of these city-states start to take over other ones and uh, create empires. So you get uh, Ghana, Mali, and the Songhai. Uh, which will then be a major trading center for people to kind of look for or to have the resources to send people away to go and trade. And um, as well, so you have those city-states, but uh, you also have kind of a, a knees between two regions in West Africa, which are the grasslands that have grains and, and, and foods and stuff like that versus the forest areas uh, that have more of the fruits and yams. And um, in both these areas, you have an issue of a lack of salt, but you have some of the greatest gold mines in the world at the time there. So um, you need to find some way to get the salt because without salt, you're going you're gonna to die because you can't preserve your food. And just actually humans need salt in general uh, in the diet. So um, we're going to see this thing really revolve around gold and salt, uh, which is also why it's nicknamed the, the gold and salt trade. So... Um, the, this all kind of starts with uh, Islamic merchants going through uh, oases with camels um, and finding a way to connect uh, to West Africa. Uh, they find routes through that which weren't really possible without camels before. were really, really dangerous. Um, so they use the camels to, to bring salt and other kind of finished products down to West Africa. And then in West Africa, they find out that there's a lot of gold there, and that's really kind of what they want. There are some other things like coal nuts and ivory that also are taken back. But the main thing is, is gold. And um, in return for that gold, again, they got salt and, and other uh, dried goods that were in the Middle East, as well as other luxury goods that could come from there uh, through the other trade routes. So that's the, the big reason why it happens. Um, you had huge camel caravans, sometimes upwards of 5,000 camels and hundreds of people. Uh, it would take about 70 days to get across the Sahara Desert. So it takes a while, but if you know the oases to go through, it's not as dangerous as it might might sound. But you also have to worry about raiders and stuff like that in the area. Uh, and with this trade growing again, you have certain city-states rising up and creating an empire. So Ghana being the first one. They'll eventually get supplanted and taken over by Mali, and then they'll eventually kind of fall and be taken over by the Songhai and uh, other uh, city-states when they rise up. So um, one big thing to note, though, of those kingdoms, and um, we will hopefully see them later on, um, but with Mali, you have this famous leader named Mansa Musa, uh, who is probably one of the most significant people to, or, or famous people to make a Hajj. Uh, he travels from West Africa to, um, to, um, to Mecca. Uh, and if you don't know what Hajj is, that's the pilgrimage that you're expected to make at some point in your life to Mecca uh, during Ramadan. Uh, we'll talk about that more when we get to Islam. 
uh, in the Islamic empires. But uh, he does this, and, and he's probably the richest person in, in human history with all the gold that Mali had at the time. And he will uh, really disrupt the economies, but also bring back a lot of uh, scholars, architects, and stuff like that, that back to Mali to help build uh, and make that empire even, even greater than it was. Um, which will lead to some major cities like Timbuktu being established. Uh, but other major cities uh, along or in this trade were uh, Gao, Jene, uh, Jeno, which we already talked about, uh, Kano, Gorbir, and, and there are many others. But um, they become the major centers of trade, and that's where we see a lot of uh, Islam when it spreads there being focused. Uh, it doesn't go much beyond those cities. The The average people in the in kind of the rural areas don't necessarily convert to Islam as well. The version of Islam here we will see not be the exact same as the version of Islam in the Middle East. And uh, we'll see Ibn Battuta talk about that uh, later this um, in this unit. Um, what else? Some other things to bring up um, is uh, these, because of the spread of Islam, um, it changes the culture. They change the culture a little bit as well with uh, Islam or with their interpretations of things, but we see more of a social hierarchy coming about. We see more gender inequality coming about, even if the gender inequality is less than what you might see in in, um, in Islam in, in North Africa and the Middle East. Um, and uh, we can see uh, the start of the slave trade. Um, it's not significant yet. It's nowhere near what we're going to talk about when we get to the transatlantic slave trade, but we see that starting here and being part of the culture. Um, and uh, they would be brought across the Sahara Desert and, and brought to the Middle East where they were they were needed. Um, one also, uh, moving on, we're going to actually move on from the uh, trans-Saharan trade. I forgot that the American trade was in here uh, and looking at my notes, and I've been forgetting to mention that the whole time. So uh, we're going to talk about that really quickly. But... Um, just take note, there isn't much actually major trade routes in the Americas, and we've talked about this, and we're going to continue to talk about this, that this is a major disadvantage to um, the uh, Latin American civilizations and even North American civilizations as well. Um, they're just, uh, because there's, there's the lack of animals, they never invent a wheel, transportation is really difficult, and going north-south and trading goods north-south is more difficult than going east-west. Um, so... It's a slow process of transfer of, of goods, whether it's a farming good or technology between uh, the different civilizations. Mainly during this era, we're going to be talking about the Aztecs and the Incas. And uh, these two groups actually have much different ideas on trade as well. Um, for the Aztecs, they, they very much like trade. They, like, uh, they have set, uh, marketplaces built in every town that, um, that are designed specifically for trade and trading unique and exotic items that you necessarily couldn't find in and around the area, but also to get your basic goods. And uh, these people were praised and, and lifted up, while the Incas um, didn't really actually focus on trade or anything like that. They uh, Instead, uh, the Sapa Inca, who is the leader, would be the owner of everything that was grown, and everything that was grown was turned over to the state and put into large horse or, or um, storehouses. So whether it's your, your potatoes you were growing or whether it was wool from your alpacas or llamas and shirts that you're making and stuff, all that stuff would be um, given to the state, um, and in return you would get what you need. So it's almost kind of like a, a proto or an early communist idea. Um, uh, that we'll see later on when we get to communism, but uh, we can kind of see that going on throughout the the empire there. So there isn't an incentive to really trade or do that, and you're not really kind of allowed to based on the rules that are going on. 
um, because the Sapa Inca owes everything and he distributes it to people based on kind of what they they need in their regions. So Americas is much different than what we see throughout Afro-Eurasia. Um, again, no major trade routes there, whereas with the Silk Road, the Indian Ocean trade, the, the Trans-Saharan trade, these are connecting wide ranges of places, bringing in lots of new ideas and beliefs. And so we see them building off of each other and, and growing larger, whereas Incas and Aztecs are fairly separated when we look at those. So that's all for the, the trade routes. And um, we'll be exploring them more throughout the week. And next week, we'll be taking a look at um, China during this time.